All right. Well, you can turn in your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. I want you to say with me one time with some real Holy Spirit conviction, God's not done. That was decent, but you know we got to do it again. Come on now. God's not done. God's not done. That's the word I want you to hear today. Uh, you know that the summertime is a great time for many of us to travel. And, you know, our family has some travel plans in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to get to get away and be with family. Uh, but, but one of the dreams, I, I love to travel. I know some of you love to travel. And I've spent a little time in Europe in the past couple of weeks with my family uh, back in the day. And then uh, a week in uh, Nice, France, doing mission work in Nice, France. Come on, somebody. That's like almost Hawaii, right? That was some, that was some good serving Jesus there uh, in Nice. But, uh, but I would love to go back one day and make my way to Italy and to visit Rome, and to spend time in the Vatican City. Uh, not only to, to see the church history and all of the different, you know, pieces that, that have unfolded through uh, the centuries, but also to step into the Sistine Chapel. Has anyone ever been to the Sistine Chapel? I see a throw, more hands than, hey, you can tell me about it, it's great. Um, and, and to see the amazing art that covers the walls, and especially, you, you probably know, the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Michelangelo, one of history's greatest artists, was commissioned by the Pope in July of 1508 to paint the entire ceiling. I mean, you can just look up at the ceiling of Medford High School Theater right here and imagine Painting the whole, I mean, we're not talking get your paintbrush roller and, you know, do it as fast as you can. We're talking about one of the greatest works of art with intricate detail, massive in scope. 343 different figures painted across the chapel's ceiling. And, of course, maybe what comes to your mind as you think about if you've seen pictures of that is the, the creation of Adam and Eve with God's hand reaching out to Adam's finger and the creation of, of, of humankind. But, but I want you to think about it from this perspective. He started that work in July of 1508, but he did not finish until October of 1512. Now, by my quick calculations, that's over 1,500 days painting this amazing work of art. I mean, can you see him not driving a car, but walking to the chapel day by day with his tote, you know, on his back probably with all of his paintbrushes and whatnot. And it's just like, hey, there goes Michelangelo. I wonder, I wonder how far along is it done yet? Is, maybe, is it going to be done next month? And just see him day after day after day showing up to do the work. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that we have a God who has shown up for work. Not 1,500 days, but from the day he created the world until now. Our God is working. 
And from the day you stepped into the life of Christ, and even before, our God has been working in your life. The, the message that we hear as we wrap up this book called First Thessalonians in this series we've called Church on Fire is simply this. God's not done working in you. God's not done working in you. Can you say, God's not done? Can you say with a little bit of conviction, God's not done with me? Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them with a little bit of love, God's not done with you? That was awkward. It was why it was a little bit softer, but we're cool. I understand. All right. So God is, is not done working in us. And, and one of the, the things that we're going to see here is that we've seen all of these exhortations, words of instruction, words of command to finish the book of 1 Thessalonians. We saw how we're to esteem our leaders, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We saw a couple of weeks ago the encouragement was don't stop now, right? Don't, like rejoice always. They're, in our lives we should always be rejoicing because even if our circumstances are good, God is good. We saw that we should always be praying, verse 17. We saw that we should always be giving thanks in every single circumstance, verse 18. And as my brother Sony sh shared last week, we want to live in such a way that we do not quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our churches, but we want to treasure the work of the Holy Spirit. All of these different commands have come at us, and now Paul speaks this word of blessing that says, all of the things that God has invited you into, that he's called you to do, he is going to show up and continue his work in your heart to see that all of these things come to increasing fruition and ultimately completion. And so I hope that you'll see today that, that God's not done with you, that he has a great work that he is not only doing, but that he's going to continue to do as we draw near to him day by day. So listen to these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. This is what the word of God says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I have three encouragements for your consideration this morning. The first is this. God won't stop working in you until you look like Jesus. 
God will not stop working in you until you look like Jesus. When we come to verse 23 and we see this prayer, which is in the form of a blessing, and I just got to pause and stop right here and say that it is actually okay, okay? We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a Christian leader to pray and speak words of blessing over one another, but we actually need to get in the habit of speaking words of blessing, which means to speak words of life over one another, The Proverbs tell us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you and I both know that it is so much easier to speak words that tear down rather than build up, that criticize and complain rather than encouraging and speaking life. What an example we have here from the Apostle Paul when he begins his prayer by saying, now may the God of Peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you flip back to chapter 3 at the end in verses 11 through 13, we hear a clear echo of what Paul has already said there. Look at it. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Do you remember these words? As we do for you, so that, why? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There's this echo blameless in holiness, sanctify you completely that you might be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. And so what does Paul talk about when he's using all this language that we may not use every day in our everyday conversations? Well, well, to be sanctified means to be made holy. It is, it is to put it in kind of our everyday terms, it is to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. Because if we spent just barely any amount of time with one another, we can quickly see that each one of us have areas of our life every single day that could use some work. That this is not quite like Jesus, not, not as much like Jesus as we would desire. And so I want to step back and help us understand this in terms of how God works and moves and when he invites us in to follow Jesus and he saves us, moves us from death to life, moves us from darkness to light. The Bible says that in that moment when we are saved, when we step into the life of Christ, if you've never done that today, at this point, then today would be a great day for you to do so. Because when we see, hey, I've got a life that's got a lot of emptiness and brokenness, and I need, I've tried to look in all of these areas for what is going to satisfy me, what's going to make me whole. I mean, I just got a message this past Friday night from a friend that I've been talking to about Jesus for the longest. And I mean, super successful guy, doing all these things, moving, shaking around Boston. And and he just said, it's not filling me up. 
And, and there's a lot of brokenness that I'm not only seeing around me as things are going good on the ex- external, but some things within me. And I want to talk. And we need to all come to that place where we see that the solutions we're reaching for, success and relationships and achievement, whatever it is, that ultimately, while those things may not be bad, they're not ultimately going to satisfy us. And that's when we say, God, you are the answer. You are the only solution that's going to ultimately satisfy my heart. And when we do that, listen, the good news is God counts us righteous in Jesus Christ. He no longer holds our sins against us. We are declared not guilty for all of the mess and junk and sin in our life against God and against the people around us. We are justified in God's sight. That's a legal term that says you are not guilty, free from the penalty of your sin before God. But, but once we are justified, we move into this process that we call sanctification. And sanctification is a process that is progressive. I mean, I was just talking with a new believer in our church uh, over the past few weeks, and uh, she was, you know, coming to me with questions, and, and then I love just how honest and transparent and vulnerable that she is, and she just said, you know what? I'm not sure this Jesus thing is for me because the way that people are treating me, I want to act like I used to act. Can you identify with that, fam? I mean, some of you are like, I've been following Jesus for decades, and I still want to just mm-mm-mm-mm-mm to some people who were just talking all this noise and all this mess. And it's like, whoa, 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 this, this Jesus thing is most certainly for you. Because sometimes we can have the misconception that when we begin to follow Jesus, that everything's going to be perfect, that we're going to be completely changed, that we, you know, we, we're always going to do the things that he would want us to do. Well, guess what? We, like the Sistine Chapel, we are works in progress. God is changing us day by day by day. And, and when God changes us, listen to us, he, he wants to change us as it says so clearly and even repetitively in this one verse. He wants to change us. What does it say? Completely. He wants to, to do a work that is, the NIV says, through and through. From the top of your head to the tip of your toes, God wants to bring his change throughout your life in every way. And, and this is... When we think about this, I think it makes us appreciate what God has done for us all the more. And let me explain what I'm talking about. So before we meet Jesus, we are what some theologians would want to call totally depraved. All right, now, you're like, what is that? Like depravity, we're, we're sinful, we're fallen, we're broken, we have evil within us. And this total depravity does not mean, listen to this, does not mean that we are as bad as we can possibly be. Thank God for that. He gives everyone, people who follow Jesus, people who don't follow Jesus, common grace. But what total depravity does mean is that every part of our being, our thoughts, our desires, what we love, how we feel, our emotions. Did you know that our emotions can be righteous or can be sinful? 
And can you believe that I haven't even said what we most of the time think is like, God's only concerned about our actions. I gave you four categories that had nothing to do with what we actually do, but the stuff that's happening on the inside of us, our thoughts, our desires, our loves, our feelings. And yes, of course, those are going to come out in our actions. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying that every part of you, God is working on. He's he's going to continue to change the way you think and change what you want and change what you love and how you love. And he's going to make it increasingly like Jesus. He says it another way as he goes on. He says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's important. We can get sometimes scholars get into these debates of are we like two parts? Are we three parts? Are we spirit, soul, and body? Are we just soul and body? Are we spirit and body? Are we mind, spirit, soul, and body? Are we spirit, mind, soul, heart, and body? I think Paul really is just saying all of you. I lean towards we're just, we're embodied souls. We have a body and a soul and the spirit and soul really are talking about the same thing. But we can get into theological debates about that. That's really not the most important piece of the text. But what is important is that God takes that old fallen person and he changes us day by day by day. And he makes us a little more and a little more and a little more like Jesus. And God is so intent on the miracle of your transformation that he'll never stop working on you. And and I I love to preach this. I want to preach it. Okay, I called it a miracle for a reason. Because for jacked up, messed up, super fallen Tanner Turley to be transformed into the same image of Jesus Christ... That's a miracle. And I have to think you would say the same thing about yourself. And so we've seen how God is already transforming the the Thessalonians. I want to just because we're at the end of the book and he's now praying this prayer of blessing over them to say all the things that God is doing in you, he's going to continue to do it. He's going to continue to increase it. Maybe some of you have friends or family that are visiting Boston this summer and uh, you know that it's so much fun to take them on a tour of Boston. I just want to take you on a quick tour of the book of 1 Thessalonians to remember the ways that we've seen God already at work changing these people into the image of Christ and the ways that they still have to go. So what does he talk about? Chapter 1, he says that they have a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope. He says that they received the word, not as the word of men, but the word of God with full conviction, the power of the Holy Spirit. So much so that they took their old idols and the things that they once treasured more than anything, and they turned them over to God and said, God, these things are work and our pleasure and our hanging out on Saturday night and all the things that we love to do, even spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on clothes. It's not worth it. God, you are worth it. We're going to worship you alone. You are the priority of our lives. And he says in chapter 2 that they endured persecution. You want to know if you're really in the faith? Get tested. 
suffer for and with Jesus. These people were were following Jesus in spite of Satan's schemes at the end of chapter 2. In chapter 3, Paul talks about how that they are displaying love for one another. And he says what? Increase it all the more. Abound in love for one another and for everyone. Then in chapter 4, we saw how he says, look, God's called you, here it is again, to holiness. And we are not only relational beings and emotional beings, but we are sexual beings. And he says, honor God with your sexuality, with your sexual desires. Follow God's plan in every area. There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality named among you. And then he gets into how that they are to wait for the coming of the Lord with anticipation and to live as children of delight, having put on the God's armor to fight against the schemes of the evil one and then all of the exhortations that we saw here at the end of chapter five. There are so many ways that God is changing us, that he's doing his good work in us. And ultimately, listen, it is going to what? It is going to culminate at the end of verse 23, it says, to where we are kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. One day, listen to this, one day, God is going to crash our party at a time we do not expect. And and for the person who is following Jesus day by day, we are going to be ready because we're staying awake as children of light. And when he comes, we are going to stand before him blameless. Notice that the Bible doesn't say stand before him perfect, but we are going to stand before him blameless, which means that we are above reproach, that no one can bring a charge against us because even when we've blown it, even when we've made mistakes, we've come back to God and said, God, I'm sorry, I confess that, I confess that to the people I've wronged, and I am forgiven, I am washed clean, I am blameless before Christ at his coming. And if you want to dig a little bit deeper this week, just write down 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 that says this. How great is the love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but, listen, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus returns, when he comes back, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So so, so what what is John saying? He's saying the same thing that Paul is saying. He's saying, You stepped into the life of Christ. You're a child of God. And because you have this hope in him, you're going to see him. And when he comes back, he is going to change you to be completely pure, even as he is pure. That's glorification, being totally freed from not just the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the presence of sin in our lives. And because of that, John says, What Paul says, everyone who has this kind of hope is chasing hard after a pure life because when we stand before him, our heart is to stand before him blameless. 
And so this work of sanctification that is sweeping in its scope, absolutely comprehensive in our lives, this happens because of the God of peace himself is doing the work. The God of peace is referring not only to the God who gives us peace with himself through Jesus, but brings peace with one another. And I really believe this word, arene, in the Greek, it means to, to, to experience God's peace within shalom, the shalom of God flourishing, that God's peace starts to show up in every area of our lives. There's harmony where there's chaos, there is fullness and flourishing where there was disappointment. And I just want to tell you, and I hope, I pray, it's not like pastor talk, I mean, like, literally, really pray that you understand that God is not only willing to show up and continue his good work in you, he is very, very, very excited about it. He's excited about it. I got to tell you, when I take my oldest daughter on Friday mornings to 6 a.m. shooting practice, and I got out there two weeks ago and taught the little kids how to shoot the, that basketball, that rock. Anyway, uh, stay humble, Pastor Tanner. Come on. Uh, so, so anyway, when we get out there at, at, at Lexington Christian Academy and we're shooting hoops, you know what I love to see? I love to see Parker's progress. She's getting stronger. She's getting better. She's shooting a higher percentage because of the practice and the work that she puts in. And you know what I'm doing on the sideline? I'm like, that's my girl. Look at that form. Look at, look at how she's squaring up her feet. Look at how she's getting her elbow in. She's staying with her follow through. And I'm a proud dad because I see her progress. And G.K. Chesterton can say it so much more eloquently than I could ever say it. So I'm going to need you to really lock in on this quote because it's so, so good. I'm going to help you out after I read it. Okay, so this is what Chesterton says about, about God's excitement over his work. That's what we're talking about here, okay? It might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. Are you tracking with me so far? Oh man, this dude is so poetic. The thing I mean can be seen, for instance, in children. I brought this today because it's kids week also, all right? This, this thing can be seen in children, for instance, when they find some game or joke that they especially enjoy. A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life, because children have abounding vitality. That's another way of saying children are full of energy. Amen, parents? Amen. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. I love it. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. I mean, have you ever seen a father take a child and throw them into the air? And they catch them and the child is giggling and laughing. And then what do they say? Do it again. And he does it again. And what does the child say? Do it again. 
And the d- dad does again. And the child says, what? That's right. And it just, until the father's arms cannot throw them up into the air anymore. And the kid is still wanting to say, do it again. Listen to what Cheston says. For grown-up people, they always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Now, let me, let me translate that if you are kind of lost in the early 1900s language and philosophical prose that's quite poetic of Chesterton. What, what he's saying is this. God delights in his work so much that God never gets tired of doing his work again and again and again. Sunrise is so beautiful. There's so much childlike wonder in the heart of God that he doesn't get tired of saying, do it again, stars shine, Grand Canyon glisten, waterfalls fall with power. And you, and you, and you become a little more like Jesus today and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next one after that. This is, this is how it happens. Don't think that God is just like, oh, they got to change. My people need to be different. They need to be better. God shows up, and God shows up with such a joy and delight and excitement to see us as his children growing more and more into the image of Christ. And this is what we see in the next verse, verse 24. What does it say? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful to finish what he starts. I got to give a shout out to Pastor Reddy since he's back. If you've ever prayed with Pastor Reddy, there is probably an 80% chance you've heard him pray these words from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This says, we can be sure of this. We can be confident that he, God, who began a good work in you, God is doing something good in you, family. He who began that good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When God calls us into the Christian life, He calls us to follow Jesus. We hear that call in the Gospels when Jesus was walking the earth and he was inviting people. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And God is still calling to to people today. Follow me. Maybe he's speaking that to your heart today, that today is your day to say, I am going to follow Jesus because I know I hear the voice of God saying, follow me. 
And he, listen, God calls us to great assignments. We welcome the Zapata family who have moved to Boston from Columbia. Hello. Yeah, we can get excited about that. I mean, who, who, who leaves 85 degree heat and the best salsa music in the world for the, you know, winters of Boston? But not only them, you're going to meet the Ambrose family next week who just arrived yesterday from Louisiana. They've traded their gumbo for clam chowder. And they left it. The Zapatas left it. They left the comfort of their familiarity. They left probably nicer, bigger homes. Amen, Boston? Amen. But they said, Jesus is worth it. God's called us to a great assignment, a great work in the kingdom of God. But this calling here is not to an assignment. It's not to a vocation. What we see in verse 24 is for all of us. We have been called into the life of Christ. We've been called into a relationship with God. We've been called to salvation. And God says, look, I've called you into this life, and I am going to be faithful to show up day by day by day and help you follow me with everything you've got. I am faithful. I am faithful. I am faithful. Have you experienced the faithfulness of God? Have you seen how he's changed your character? Have have you seen how you, you don't think like you used to think? You're much more patient now. You're much more kind. You're much more loving. You're much more uh, intentional with your work that you don't just show up to get a paycheck anymore, but you show up to work to love the people around you and whatever business or uh, contribution you're making to society, you know that that work is part of the way that you are loving your neighbor as you love yourself every single day you go to work. Wow. God's transforming us. And he's giving us the power day by day. Listen, yes, we have responsibility. We show up and and we work and we take the strength that God is giving us and we put it into motion. But in everything, it is God who is giving the strength. That's why the second point today that I need you to understand is that your progress depends more on God than it does on you. It depends more on God. Yes, yes, we are, we are responsible. We show up, we love, we serve, we give. But it is because God is filling us by his Holy Spirit to take the next step, to pray the next prayer, to show up at Kids Week and lead a bunch of rambunctious six-year-olds. Amen? Amen, it's going to be great. And listen, I want you to see how faithful God is. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You can flip just a few pages if you want. You might want to underline it. This is wild. This is wild. The Bible says crazy stuff. It's one reason I love it. (laughs) Verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. That's good news. If we endure... We will also reign with him. I'm looking forward to that. Hope you are too. Look look at this. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
But then Paul says, look, if you're really in Christ, that's not possible. Why? Because if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. There are times where you and I are faithless. We don't walk in faith. We don't live the way that God wants us to live. We fall, we stumble, but God is faithful. He picks us up again. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us. He forgives us, he cleans us up, and he empowers us one more time. And, and, and his greatest motivator for that is not only that he loves us. Yes, he loves us more than we can imagine. We just saw it in 1 John chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. God's love for you is great, but God's commitment to his own glory and name is even greater. He won't deny himself. What, that, what, he, what that's saying is, look, if you're in Christ, you bear the name of God. If you're in Christ, the name Jesus is on your back every single day. And God is looking at you and he's saying, that's my kid and I'm not turning my back on them. I am going to bring them. I am going to keep them. I am going to be faithful to bring them to the finish line. Your progress depends more on God than it does on you. And then finally, number three. Don't miss this. Your progress requires, that word is intentional, it requires the family of faith. We need one another. There are some things that you probably enjoy doing solo. Maybe there, and there are times we need that, right? We need to take a long walk on a trail, clear our mind, just enjoy God's creation. God loves one-on-one time with us. Maybe you want to go on the Mystic River and kayak this summer. And I don't know about you, but I want to do that solo. If I got someone else in my kayak, I'm probably going to be hitting them in the head. They're probably going to be getting on my nerves. Like, I want to go this way, you're going that way. It's like, there's some things we want to do solo. I mean, eating, a, eating ice cream at night. I want to do that when Marsha's in bed because she's going to see that fourth scoop and she's going to be like, well, boy, you better. Cleaning out my closet. <laughs> Solo. I mean, I don't even want to do that. But listen, the Christian life, it's not a solo project. We need one another. We need the support of one another. We need the encouragement of one another. We need the words of life, the saying, God's not done with you. Yeah, I know you blew it. I know that things are hard right now, but God is here and he is working. And that's why Paul ends in verse 25. He says, brothers, pray for us. Brothers and sisters, these family members, pray for us. We need your prayer. We need your strength. We need your support. He says, when you get together, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Now, I know culturally, some of you come from cultures. Every time, it's like, a little, it's like a little kiss on the cheek. That's awesome. For some of us, it's like, what was that? Or it's like, hey, I'm cool with just a handshake or a head nod. Hello. The point is not the cultural gesture. The point is the love and the hospitality behind the gesture. 
the, the, what's, what Paul's communicating here is that we, we don't just tolerate one another. Let me tell you something. If you were tolerating a brother or sister in Christ, something's wrong and you need to fix it together. We don't just want tolerance. We want harmony and love. And so Paul says, look, display this kind of love. And even in verse 27, I love this, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In other words, these words are so important that it's not just for you who are hearing it right now. It's for everyone in the community. Did you know that there are some people in Redemption Hill Church that are not here today? And they're missing this message perhaps. Maybe they're, maybe they're traveling. Maybe they're doing whatever. And it's our responsibility. It's not Pastor Tanner's. I mean, I'm going to, when I connect, I'm going to encourage. I'm going to show up. I'm going to whatever. But it's like, we're, we're a family. We encourage one another. We, hey, there was something so encouraging today. And I just want to share with you, God's not done with you. Aren't you glad? Aren't you very, very glad? God's not done. God's not done. He has plans for you beyond your wildest dreams. And he is going to walk with you like the best friend that you've never had because you've never had one this good. He's going to walk with you. He's going to talk with you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to strengthen you. He is going to help you. He is going to show up. He is going to speak words of life. He's going to pick you up when you fall down. So whatever it is that you need right now in your relationship with God, God is saying, I delight to do it again. Do you need a little more patience? I'm going to show up as you depend on me, and I'm going to give you more patience. Do you need more boldness? To love people, courage to step out in faith and serve and share. I love to show up and give you courage and boldness. Whatever you need, God's got it. And he is saying, I am right here because I am not done with you. And so would you just bow your head for a moment? And in this, 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 the silence of this moment before God, your heart to his heart. Would you just say, God, I, I could use some help in this way. And as you pray that prayer, I hope you'll pray with confidence to know that God is ready right now and excited to show up and deliver everything you need as you become increasingly like Jesus. And so I want to pray over us as we draw near to God in these moments. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your magnificent word. We thank you, God, that you are so, so faithful. Because, God, if we're get, getting real in, the, in this house today, if we are being super honest, we would have to say that, God, there are a lot of times we've given up on people and not only that God if we were in your shoes we would have given up on us so God we thank you that you are a God who never gives up never stops working in us 
as we become increasingly like Jesus. So would you do your good work in us, the people of Redemption Hill. Grow us and change us for your namesake, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.